Welcome to Flywheel Fridays, keeping up with the federal IT news cycle, one conversation at a time. I'm Alexander Bolova, media producer for GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is my wonderful co-host, senior researcher Kate Macri, and special guest, staff writer Sarah Seibert. Kate and Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex. With summer 2022 coming to an end, we wanted to take a look back at some of the most notable news and events to come out of the world of federal IT this season. Because, let's be honest, a lot happened the last couple of months, and you were probably on vacation for some of it. I'll let Sarah and Kate lead the conversation. Sarah? Thanks, Alex. So we saw a lot come out of civilian agencies over the past few months. I would say the most notable achievement came out of the Department of Veterans Affairs last month with the passage of the PACT Act. So Biden signed the PACT Act into law in mid-August, and it will fund compensation and health services for approximately 3.5 million veterans who suffered military exposure during their time in service. The agency's secretary, Dennis McDonough, noted that VA will start processing new claims in January 2023, and as a result, we'll see a lot more around automation and claims management modernization to prepare for and successfully deliver these new benefits. VA also recently announced a new mobile app they call VA Health and Benefits App. The new app centralizes health and benefits information, enabling veterans to better navigate the agency's services. Some of the features include the ability to view and cancel healthcare appointments, view claims and appeal statuses, upload documentation, message their doctor, locate facilities, and more. It enables VA to streamline and unify its services, and since its soft launch in August 2021, uh, more than 800,000 veterans have already downloaded, and that number is expected to grow, especially after the PACT Act. VA is also looking to expand the app moving forward to include new features like refilling prescriptions, requesting appointments, and managing payments. Earlier this summer, VA also announced a new initiative which aims to reduce veteran suicide. Mission Daybreak will provide funding and support for new suicide prevention strategies. Through the program, $20 million will be allocated to researchers, technologists, and clinicians developing new programs for suicide prevention and other forms of mental health support. Following the overturn of Roe in June, we saw many health agencies rally around reproductive health care rights. VA has been working to improve the quality and scope of its reproductive and women's health care services over the past few years, especially as the proportion of women veterans have increased, including providing a broader scope of maternity care and associated services. Hi, this is Sarah. Since we recorded this episode, the Department of Veterans Affairs announced today, September 2nd, that it submitted an interim final rule to the Federal Register that will allow VA to provide access to abortion counseling and, in certain cases, abortions to pregnant veterans and VA beneficiaries. These services will be authorized immediately after the interim final rule is published, and the rule will be available for public comment for 30 days thereafter. VA will make determinations on a case-by-case basis and will be a result of careful consultation between VA healthcare providers and the veterans they serve. VA Secretary Dennis McDonough said in a statement regarding the announcement that this is a patient safety decision. Quote, pregnant veterans and VA beneficiaries deserve to have access to world-class reproductive care when they need it most. That's what our nation owes them, and that's what we at VA will deliver. End quote. 
At the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, over 80 million women and girls receive services across Medicare, Medicaid, CHIP, and the Affordable Cares Act. And Administrator Chiquita Brooks-Lashur said that CMS will continue efforts to ensure access to reproductive health care moving forward. HHS Secretary Javier Becerra noted that he has directed the components of his agency to continue to provide abortion and reproductive treatment access as well. We'll likely see an increase of data privacy and security strategies emerging from the decision to protect women's health information. In July, ONC released the United States Core Data for Interoperability, version 3. Uh, the updated data standards adds new data classes that include health status and insurance information to promote health equity. The new data elements under the health status slash assessments class include functional disability, mental and cognitive, and pregnancy statuses. The health insurance information data class allows for health IT to capture and share important insurance coverage information in a standardized format. An ONC spokesperson said that the update reflected in the release will continue to help the Biden-Harris administration meet its respective executive orders on advancing racial equity for COVID-19 and public health threats. Finally, a trend we've seen over the summer is government advancing green IT acquisition. The Biden administration wants to leverage federal purchasing to combat the climate crisis. In addition to several executive orders surrounding environmentally conscious acquisition, Biden signed the landmark climate change and health care bill into law in August, which takes a significant step toward fulfilling his goal to modernize the American economy and reduce its dependence on fossil fuels. Looking ahead, in April, GSA announced its plans to create a new GSA Acquisition Policy Federal Advisory Committee focused on sustainable procurement. The committee's initial focus will be to drive regulatory policy and process changes to embed climate and sustainability considerations into federal acquisition. What about you, Kate? So some of the major highlights from defense news over the summer include the official stand-up slash launch of DOD's Chief Digital and AI Office, which is headed up by Craig Martell. Um, this is a pretty big deal because AI is considered to have a direct impact on DOD's Joint All-Domain Command and Control Initiative, or JADSI-2. Lieutenant General Dennis Kroll said over the summer that the speed of war fighting and decision makers are inundated with the amount of data coming at them. And JADC2, in order to really connect, you know, sensor to shooter and do that in a cohesive, meaningful way, we're talking about decision making, we're talking about data, and AI helps with that. So the CDAO is going to be really critical towards making JADC2 happen, and not just making it happen, but making it happen in a sustainable and scalable way. So there was a lot of talk about AI in relation to JADC2 over the summer, but also with regards to JADC2 in terms of general updates, Integration challenges are still pretty big um, in terms of hurdles for JASI2 implementation, data interoperability, communication, like Air Force being able to communicate with Army, being able to communicate with combatant commands, et cetera, et cetera, is still a challenge. 
And Air Force leaders have said, you know, automation and artificial intelligence, while they're going to be critical, they don't necessarily solve this problem. Because at the end of the day, like you still need people like on the ground to like understand the nuances of what's going on and being able to like use AI as a tool to make the right decision. So that's been a big conversation over the summer. Also, with regard to JADC2, zero trust is shaping up to be a pretty important component of JADC2 implementation because if you're transferring a lot of data and information between different services and combatant commands, you need to be able to transfer that information securely. And DOD leaders have, by and large, pretty much across the board said zero trust is how they're going to be able to do that quickly and effectively. So zero trust is extremely important for DOD right now. And that was a very big theme over the summer. And then keeping in the theme of zero trust, DISA has a Thunderdome zero trust prototype with Booz Allen Hamilton underway right now. And they recently extended the deadline for the prototype completion to January 2023 because they are planning to develop a separate zero trust prototype for DOD's classified network, which is SIPRNET. And this is also going to be really important for JADC2, again, because there is different information that's communicated back and forth on the unclassified network versus the classified network. So they need separate zero trust architectures for those. And both of these networks play different roles in information sharing across the different DOD services and components. Again, very important for JADC2. So that was a pretty major update that also happened over the summer. And then finally, GovCIO Media and Research has produced a lot of really amazing work digging into how DOD software factories are impacting software development across the military services, but also just the defense industrial base in general. So we have some really great work from Nikki Henderson and Sarah Seibert and myself. Uh, lots of interviews with Navy and Air Force software factories like Kessel Run, Black Pearl, Hangar 18. And you can check out all of those on our website. But some of the major themes are these software factories are really changing the game in terms of DoD software development by being able to develop products more quickly and turn them out faster for service members to be able to use out in the field. And that's that's a pretty big deal, especially given that DoD said at the beginning of the year that software factories and their model of software development is going to be like the standard going forward for all of DoD software development. So anyway, we've got some really cool stories about how software factories are doing that, how they are addressing real data challenges and software challenges at DOD. For example, just like one quick anecdote, I interviewed Hangar 18, which is one of the newest DOD software factories in Dayton, Ohio at the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which is the area where I grew up. So kind of a cool little anecdote there. Anyway. Repairing aircraft such as the F-35 and the B-52 can take months and months and months, sometimes upwards of a year, due to a lack of data interoperability between the necessary repair parties like Air Force Materiel Command, Air Logistics Centers, and the Air Force Research Laboratory. And something that Hangar 18 is doing right now is trying to basically compress the amount of time that it takes to repair these aircraft 
so that you can get through the tasks much more quickly. And these aircraft aren't just like sitting around, you know, waiting for months, like out of service for months, waiting to be fixed. And so that's a really cool, like direct impact that software factories are having on just DOD at large. There have also been a few leadership changes over the summer. Sarah? Yeah, to kick things off, Keith Jones stepped down as State Department CIO on June 17th. There was also a recent announcement from Anthony Fauci, who said he will be stepping down from his position as NIAID chief in December 2022. And in July, Sharif Al-Nahal was appointed as the first Senate-confirmed undersecretary for health at VA since 2017. Kate, are there any big moves in your beat? Yeah, so the biggest one of the summer was Craig Martell came from Lyft to be DOD's first chief digital and AI officer. I think what was really interesting about that move was he said the mission of DOD drew him to the role. It was really about like furthering the mission and turning DOD into an AI positive culture that drew him to the opportunity. So that was pretty exciting. Also, Lieutenant General Mary O'Brien became the J6 CIO, so basically the top IT cyber person for the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which was also a big move. All right. Thank you for the recap. Listeners can find coverage of many of these events and news items on our website, govciomedia.com. We'll be back in two weeks for more conversations about the world of federal IT. But until then, that's all for today's Flywheel Fridays. If you enjoyed this episode, keep the conversation turning by subscribing and leaving a review on the podcast platform of your choice. I'm Alexander Bolova. I'm Kate Macri. I'm Sarah Seibert. Thank you for listening. Flywheel Fridays along with GovCast, HealthCast, and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released weekly across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.